0: Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone, and I hope that tomorrow can be a great day with friends and family, but I also hope for all of us that we remember what this day is all about, that is Jesus coming into the world, and that's certainly what we're here to celebrate this evening. Uh, We'll be in Matthew chapter 2 this evening, where we've been at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday mornings now for the last month. And uh, it's been such a joy to look at these passages in preparation for Christmas. Uh, And again, I'm so thankful to be with you guys on Christmas Eve this evening. Uh, Hope everyone's ready. Hope everyone's shopping is done. Um, I know for me, I got Carrie, I went a little bit overboard. I got her a baby this year, which was... uh, By far, the most expensive gift I've ever given We're thankful for Robert. And he's healthy. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 12 through the end of the chapter. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt... And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under according to the time that, they had, he, that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But... And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you so much for your Son, who came into the world. Lord, as it says in the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, that... Many, many generations ago, that Christ himself came into the world. The light came into the world to redeem a fallen world from darkness. Life came into the world to bring a dead world to eternal life. Lord, we thank you for that, and we celebrate that, and we praise you for that, Lord. And as we look at this passage from your word, may we be pointed to the truth of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. We have so many positive associations with Christmas. It's quaint. It's heartwarming. It's nostalgic. We have favorite Christmas traditions, favorite Christmas movies, favorite Christmas songs, favorite renditions of our favorite Christmas songs. It really is the most wonderful time of the year. We like the lights and the trees. Christmas has a feel to it. Our passage today involves the final scene in the infancy narrative of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. In these verses, he's a newborn baby. But it's not a quaint and warm passage. Instead, we see the family of Jesus on the run as this baby is in mortal danger. And even while he's still in his infancy, It will point us to his death and to the gospel. And so what we'll do this evening is look at these three scenes of this passage, and I'll close with talking about how the passage fits into the story of Jesus. First scene, the flight to Egypt. As a reminder of where we were a few days ago on Sunday, the wise men come to King Herod and seek out Jesus. Now, I said this on Sunday, but Herod was a ruthless leader. And so he requests that the wise men tell him when they locate Jesus so that he too can come and worship him, which, of course, was a lie. And we'll see that in our passage. The end of our passage last week showed the wise men being warned against revealing the location of Jesus to Herod. Verse 12 says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. While the wise men are warned, Joseph, the adoptive early father, earthly father of Jesus, is also warned in verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. That is indeed a very dire warning. Keep in mind that it was not uncommon in ancient times or today for tyrannical leaders like Herod to kill off perceived threats. Herod is the king... And he's been presented with the idea that the promised descendant of David, who is the rightful king of the Jews, has been born. Now, Egypt was about 90 miles away from Bethlehem and had a significant Jewish population in the first century. And that's a fairly obvious place to take refuge at the time. Now, for Joseph and Mary, they've had an unimaginable past few months. They were just minding their own business, betrothed to be married. And Mary was told that she was going to have a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit. They have the baby. They've had the visit of the wise men. Astrologers travel from the other end of the Middle East to come see their baby. And now Joseph is told that this child's life is in danger. Verse 14. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. I take verse 14 to mean that they left immediately. You don't hear that your baby's in mortal danger and roll over and go back to sleep and say, okay, I'll take care of it in the morning. The text says that they departed by night They remained in hiding until Herod died, which was probably around the year 4 B.C. So it's likely a relatively short stint that they had to stay in Egypt. We come to our second scene. Verse 16 takes us back to Herod, and he realizes that the wise men are not going to disclose the location of Jesus to him. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. The wise men don't live in Jerusalem. And so they had the ability to avoid Herod, who was a regional king. Verse 16, we see a horrendous event, commonly referred to as the massacre of the innocents. Herod has all the males under the age of two in the region of Bethlehem killed. If he can't find Jesus, he'll just kill everyone off in that age range. Again, Herod was ruthless. During his reign, he had members of his own family killed in fears of being perceived threats to his power. He had his wife, brother-in-law, mother-in-law, three sons, numerous political foes, and their families All killed. He was an evil person. And so the idea that Herod would go after Jesus is certainly within character. Outside of the Gospel of Matthew, there's no historical record that this event ever happened. Some skeptics will like to point that out. But you have to keep in mind that Bethlehem in the first century was small. We talked about that on Sunday too. We're not talking about Tens of thousands of babies who were killed in these circumstances. R.T. France suggests that the entire population of Bethlehem at the time Jesus was born was around a 1,000 people. And then you have a subset of that group, males, and a subset of the subset under the age of two, and it becomes a relatively small group. Now, that's not meant to diminish how barbaric And evil it was, but just adding some historical context. The main point is that Jesus is spared because the family is not in Bethlehem. But it also shows the inhospitality of the world to its rightful king. The Christ comes into the world and his life is immediately threatened by Herod. When Jesus is born, there's no room for him. And when he's a baby, Herod tries to kill him. We see the treatment of the world for its own savior. And throughout his life, Jesus faces opposition, disdain, and ultimately the cross. But when he's a baby, it's not yet time for that. And the angel appearing to Joseph points us to the providence of God in the life of Jesus. We come to our third scene, Jesus' return to Israel. Now, before we get into those last few verses, I want to point out a couple of verses I skipped. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he ties events in the life of Jesus into the Old Testament in fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew especially does this in the infancy narrative of Jesus. In our passage today, each scene ends with Matthew grounding it in the Old Testament. In verse 15, when the family is sent to Egypt, Matthew says, This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Which is a quote from Hosea 11.1. In the Old Testament, it's a reference to Israel itself. But here, Matthew is applying it to Jesus, who is the true Israel. As, As Israel came out of Egypt... In the fulfillment of God's promises, Jesus comes out of Egypt as the truer and perfect Israel. The true and perfect son to personally fulfill God's promises. And that's a theme that runs all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness, tempted for 40 days. Just as Moses and the Israelites were tempted for 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus is confronted with temptation, and each time responds by appealing to the Old Testament. Moses gives the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Jesus speaks authoritatively of the law in the Sermon on the Mount, and lots and lots of other examples in the Gospel of Matthew. The Israelites continued to grumble and fall into sin. Jesus is sinless. They fail to live up to the law. Jesus does it perfectly. So once again, Jesus leaving Egypt to come to Israel represents the true Israel coming out of Egypt. Our second scene also ends with an Old Testament reference. It's looked at in response to the massacre of the innocents. In our passage, verses 17 and 18. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted because they are no more. At first glance, that's perhaps very cryptic. It comes from Jeremiah 31 and is meant to be hopeful in spite of tragedy. It's referring to the conquering of the Israelites in 586 BC and them being exiled from the promised land. The reference to Rachel weeping is the wife of Jacob and is meant to symbolize all the mothers of Israel mourning the loss of the promised land. Jesus is tied to that verse because he is pointed to as the true hope. The Israelites have been forced into exile. Jesus, too, has been forced into exile, but is returning to Israel to accomplish the divine mission and purpose of the gospel. So then briefly, looking at our final section, verse 19 brings us to the death of Herod. And an angel again appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him that Herod is dead and that they can return to Israel. But all is still not well. Verses 21 and 22. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So Herod's territory was split when he died between his sons, the surviving sons. The worst of them, Archelaus, ruled over Judea. He was so bad that several years later, the Romans actually removed him from leadership. So instead of returning to Judea, where Joseph and Mary were from, Joseph takes Mary and Jesus to Nazareth in Galilee. End of our chapter. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So to sum up our passage tyrants, exile, death, and danger. Merry Christmas. Herod does not want a competing king and so he tries to have him killed. It's the same thing that the crowds will successfully lobby for on Good Friday when they say crucify and Jesus is sent to the cross. On this Christmas Eve I have one question. What is your response to Jesus? Tim Keller is helpful on this point but if you look through the Gospels and you Look throughout the ministry of Jesus. No one ever has a moderate response to to, to Jesus. You have people who come to him, who beg for mercy, who say that they have seen their salvation, who anoint him, who wash his feet. You have people seeking miracles and healing. And then you have those who plot against him, who question him, and who ultimately bring charges against him, which lead to his death. On Palm Sunday, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, they chant Hosanna, which means save us. But on Good Friday, they chant crucify. No one has a moderate response to Jesus. No one looks to Jesus in the Bible and says, He says some good things that help people, and I think that's really great. No one looks to Jesus in the Bible and says, If He helps you, I think that's really wonderful. People love him or they hate him. There is no moderate response to Jesus among people who actually encounter Jesus and his ministry. But in our present day, it seems like there's a lot of lukewarm responses to Jesus. What changed? It's that many people today have created an idea of a lukewarm Jesus who doesn't really care. But the real Jesus is still someone whose message you will either love or hate. Jesus is the savior of the world. There's no neutrality to that. You either think you need a savior or you don't think that. It's black and white. Every other religion tells you to be your own savior. And that appeals to us because it gives us a sense of control. It gives us a sense of getting what we feel like we earned. Just be good enough. Just be more good than bad. Just tip the scale in your favor. But the Bible says that's not true. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, that is a very divisive message. You either believe that or you don't. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When you truly look at what Jesus said and taught, when you truly look at the gospel, that is a message that you will love or you will hate. There are lots of things about Jesus that the world doesn't like. We reject his lordship. We reject our need for grace. We reject his exclusivity that he's the only way. We reject teachings of his that we don't really like. But I want to focus on just one of those things. Herod does not want a competing king and so he tries to have Jesus killed. In our natural state, we do not want a competing king. We want to be the kings and queens of our own lives. We want to be on the thrones of our own lives. And what the gospel shows us is that we aren't. But it invites us to come down and to worship and bow down to the one true king. But that's not the natural desire of the human heart. We want that position. We can have one king. Jesus said that you cannot serve two masters. The message that Jesus comes to save you is the sweet sound of God's amazing grace. Or it's offensive. Again, there's no middle ground. There's no kind of believing in the gospel. So, what do you believe about Jesus? Is he the king? And is he your king? Or is he someone competing with what you want? It's really easy for us to make caricatures of Jesus. We pick and choose things about Jesus that we like. We ignore things we don't like. We like a few sayings about love. We like a few moral teachings. But what do you believe about salvation? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he the savior of your soul? And if he's not, would you like to know him? Jesus says later in this Gospel of Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That is only found in Jesus. The Bible says that Christ came into the world to save sinners. We are justified by God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. Jesus died so that all who believe in him can have eternal life. And he had died to invite us into real life through him, to know him, to walk with him, to love him, and to serve him. In this Christmas, the greatest gift that Jesus offers is the gift of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So I ask again, what is your response to Jesus? Is he your Lord? And is he your Savior? Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you that Jesus is the Savior of the world who came into the world to give life to a dead world, to spread light to a dark world, To give hope to a hopeless world. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray for everyone who's in this room this evening. That we would believe and know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Who brings salvation when we believe and trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen. The halls have one more song. The Rinkenbergers said that while they're singing, they had something they were going to pass out.